Geometry is the only math that makes sense. And even then, go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. Today, I am joined by Amy Dentata. Amy, welcome. Hey there. And I actually didn't ask you, so you go by Amy Dentata most of the time. Yeah. Um, but your your name is Amy Roberts? That's correct. Okay. Um, so who are you, Amy? Uh, well, I, I sometimes have a hard time telling people exactly what I do, because I do a large number of things. Too many, yes, you do. Too many things, to be honest. <laughs> um, some of it's experimental and... Yeah. So uh, I have done a lot of writing on trans issues. That's how my web presence first started online, was writing about trans issues. And um, from then, I've moved on to uh, talking about a lot of video game stuff, because I've actually been into video games since I was a kid. I uh, wanted to be in the games industry ever since I was really little. And so... At first, I thought, I'm going to have these two, you know, these different personalities online. This person that talks about trans stuff and about, I'm also a survivor of child abuse. And so I was like, I'm going to have this one persona that talks about this stuff. And then I'm going to have to do a separate persona that does the game stuff. Because who would understand it if, this, if these two worlds collided? And then as time went on, I was like, screw it. I can't do that. So I mushed everything together <laughs> and decided to stick it all in one place. Uh, so yeah, so I, I write about trans stuff. I've talked about, I've talked at colleges about trans issues. Uh, I'm actually slated to talk at Santa Clara University soon to a bunch of master's psych students. Oh my uh, goodness. Yeah, that'll be fun. Basically, I'm just going to go there and be trans for a while at, at some master's psych students and tell them my story along with a bunch of other people. And yeah, and so, and then I've been get, been getting into the, the games thing, which for a while I thought was out of my reach because I, I, I did not take computer science classes or anything like that. But I've started getting into programming and it is suddenly becoming a like I've been doing a lot more than I thought I could. So that has started to take precedence. Like I didn't plan for I didn't initially plan for games to to become a major part of my web presence. I thought I had, was done with trying to get into the games industry because they had burned me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, but as time went on, I just was like, screw it. I did not get into the industry proper, so I'll just strike out on my own. And that has worked very well for me. And it's given me a platform where I can both create games and talk about games without really having to please anybody. Except yourself. Except myself, yeah, which I let myself down a lot, but... Yeah, well, I understand that too. Because <laughs> there, there are things in games that I have very strong feelings about, I have very strong values about, and I I still struggle to express that a lot, but I'm doing my best to to express those values and talk about games and specifically trying to get them to a place that they're at, not at right now, and that I think t- getting them to be something greater than they currently are. So what do you mean by that when you say something greater than they currently are? Because uh, a lot of times when I, when you hear people talking about games now, it's in these very, it's like this very like insular jargony language, like RPGs and FPSs and what are the mechanics of this game and 
leveling up and, you know, there's an entire dictionary devoted to World of Warcraft. Um, and all of these, it's, it's, it's all tied around video games as primarily, uh, just a vector for fun and nothing else. And while I think there is value to that, I think that games can be that and more. And I think the and more is largely being neglected right now, even by like companies that are trying to put story and narrative into their games. Mm -hmm. Because I think we kind of just have this accepted way of making games, this, this way that it, you're supposed to do it. And I don't think people question that enough. And as a result, we end up with these disjointed stories and the same repeated game, the same repeated actual play in these games over and over again. I, um, I've been thinking for actually several months now, um, since I talked to Anna McGill and, uh, Brianna Wu and mm -hmm. I don't know, probably October, I guess. Um, I had them both on, um, Anna McGill is a games writer and Brianna Wu is a games developer. Yeah. And we were talking about Gamergate mm -hmm. and I said something like, um, like, I don't understand why people are being so defensive about video games. This isn't like government espionage. It isn't, you know, it's not a major political scandal. It's mm -hmm. video games. Yeah. And while to a point I still stand by that, Brianna, you know, being involved as she is, was kind of a little, I think, taken aback or disbelieving. And she was like, but... But I understand because games are such a powerful storytelling medium. They really are. And I've been thinking about that a lot over the last couple of months about where they are now. Um, and it kind of sounds like kind of what you've been thinking about where they could be and where they could go because these powerful, powerful games that could enact change, like I kind of get the impression you want to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, they exist, but they're not well known and they're not numerous. So it sounds like you really want to to make them more well known and better done and more of them. Am I right? Yeah. And I mean, there are, there have been a couple different there's been a couple different angles that people have approached this from. There has been the serious games movement, you know, capital S, capital G, serious games, mm -hmm. which has tried to say we're going to use, you know, these known game mechanics. A lot of them kind of ape the mechanics of social games like Facebook games and Flash games and stuff like that, you know, to send messages about real social issues. And while I, I, I think that is a laudable attempt, I personally feel that it's, it's a bit too heavy handed and it ends up feeling a little bit like edutainment that is shaming you or shouting at you. And I, I think rather, and then, you know, the other spectrum is saying, oh, we should just, games should just be fun and that's it. And any narrative is just window dressing. Mm -hmm. And I think somewhere in between those two, uh, we need to find a way for games to both be an entertainment medium, kind of like the same way film is an entertainment medium or books are, but also to contain meaningful story, meaningful depth to what is being expressed. And I think we have not found that middle ground, even though like sometimes I think I have a hard time talking about it to, because to me it seems so obvious. Is it one of those things where it's like, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I know it when I see it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing where, and, and I, I, I just really think that we are trying to tack on meaning to a history of thinking about game mechanics, game design, that sort of thing 
that has never even considered meaning. And so we're, it's it, right now, games that have meaning to them are this weird kind of Frankenstein's monster of these different methodologies coming from different places. Like, uh, and, and I think, you know, we're getting closer to having a successful attempt at actually merging the stuff together. Gone Home is one of the most cited examples uh, where it includes existing gameplay tropes that, you know, traditional gamers are very familiar with and also a very meaningful story. And I think that is one good example of how, like, it's not a serious game. It's not being like sent out of like, this is, you know, to provide an important moral message about GLBT acceptance. It is simply a well-told story that also has themes of GLBT acceptance within it. And yeah, it's like, we're just now starting to understand that, oh, you can do it that way. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be this really ham-fisted approach, or it doesn't have to be just pure, you know, empty calories. It's not all or nothing. There's room for shades of gray. Yeah. <laughs> regrettably, yes. Regrettably, oh, yes. She is regret. Unfortunately, yeah, that was unfortunate, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Something that I've struggled with all of my life is um, when I was little, I used to be a very um, black or white person. Like mm -hmm. it was either wrong or it was right. Or, you know, there was no room for middle ground in my life. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's probably a sign of my immaturity when I was little, right? But mm -hmm. as I've grown, it's still problematic for me to see those, the spectrum, I guess. And I'm, yeah. I'm much better than I used to be. And I think I'm better than a lot of adults are. Yeah. Um, but it's it's so hard. And, and, and in creative spaces, it's really hard to... I think sometimes imagine things that haven't been imagined before because you're so mm -hmm. used to the way things have done that true innovation is is hard. I mean, that takes a lot of like brain cells, you know, it is hard. And when when you do something that's truly new, most of the time people don't understand it because they're they have they come into it with certain expectations and then they get something very different. And then instead of feeling like like their world has been expanded, they are simply confused. I mean, the, uh, the off the top of my head, the one thing I can remember particularly in Gone Home was uh, the way that they they pl actually played off of that that disjointed expectation versus reality thing. Uh, there is this one scene where there, I think I can spoil it at this point. I mean, the game's been out for so long and people have talked it's, to it's that. It's old. I haven't played right. it yet, but yeah, spoil it. Okay. <laughs> so basically there's this one scene where you walk into this bathroom and if you are like me and you have a history of playing video games, you if you see red, the first thing you know is, oh, there's blood, especially if it's in a bathroom. It's like in every horror game, there's always some like blood-stained bathroom or something like that where something horrible has happened, like kind of like Silent Hill or something. And so you walk into the bathroom, this one bathroom in the house, and you see this, you know, the, the, the bathtub is just covered in red. And then if you go looking, exploring around, you find this one item. It's a bottle of hair dye. And then mm. it starts to tell this story of how uh, the protagonist's little, uh, little sister got her hair dyed by this girl that she is now falling in love with. And it's this really touching story. So you walk in and if you're a gamer, you're like, oh, violence, ah, horror, that kind of thing. You're expecting that kind of thing. And instead you get this very heartfelt story about a girl, about a teenage girl falling in love. 
and dyeing her hair, which is such a, I mean, hair dye. I mean, it's such a mundane activity that, that you're not used to seeing it in video games because most games, it's all fantastical stuff. It's all end of the world and gunplay and that kind of stuff. And what I, what I liked about that game in particular was how it brought the world of the mundane to video games, which I think has been sorely overlooked. Yeah, I th- I think that to your point earlier, we've always viewed or almost always viewed video games as a form of escapism. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to talk about dyeing your hair in video games, but, you know, it's a part of life and it's a part of some stories. And um, I think it's really cool that they did that. Um, you're working on your own game right now, you said, right? I'm working on uh, two games right two now. Two games. Yeah. So how are you incorporating, um, how are you trying to walk the line between um, the fantastic and the real? My main thing is that, you know, don't take anything for granted. If if you're somebody who is very familiar with games, you kind of know all the old, all the tropes you know, objectives and waypoint markers and all of that kind of fill in the blanks, video game design, Mad Libs kind of stuff. And rather than including that stuff, just because you're supposed to, I like to sit and question pretty much literally everything. So for example, when I did A Night in the Woods, which is, it's a post-apocalyptic game that doesn't feel like one up until basically the very end. It slowly builds up to being a post-apocalyptic story, but it's not bombastic. It's not loud and in your face. And, you know, it's it's a first-person game because I'm personally obsessed with first-person games that don't involve shooting. And so when I started working on it, uh, I thought of a lot of things I could do. You know, there's oftentimes in games, there's uh, you have locked doors and you have keys that open those locked doors, for example. And so I... There was a, I needed to find a way to get the player to go through the level in the way that I wanted to so that they would get a certain, so that they would have a, a slightly guided path through the level that wasn't completely forced. But I didn't want to have it this thing where it's like, find the key A to unlock this door and then find the other key to unlock that door. Because that feels too, like, video gamey. Mm-hmm. So I compromised and I was like, okay, we're going to have one key and it's going to unlock the two doors that you unlock and that is it. And it's only a pacing mechanism. It's not, it's not some system that you're supposed to game to try to maximize utility or anything like that. It is only a pacing device and nothing more. It's not meant to be a challenge. Whereas most of the time, it's like the challenge is find the key to unlock the door. And I'm like, no, you will find the key when you're supposed to. And then you can go through the rest of the map when you're supposed to. And then on top of that, there's also collectibles. There are these pieces of paper you pick up in order to light a fire. And uh, at first, I didn't want to include anything, anything like either of those two, like having locked doors with keys or having collectible items, because, again, it has that kind of just very video gamey feel to it that, mm-hmm. I, that I didn't want. But so I so I struggled with that for quite a while over the like course of the month that I made this game. I, I And I was just kind of like nothing felt right until I realized that the collectibles themselves can tell the story. And not only can the collectibles tell the story, but the thing that, you know, you're collecting these pieces of paper in order to start a fire to keep yourself warm for the night. And so instead of it just being, you know, objective marker pops up, collect this paper and, you know, use it to build a fire. And it's just some 
you know, the collectibles are just these interchangeable objects you collect until you get the right number of them so that you can light a fire and then move on to the next objective. The, the collectibles themselves are a story, and the act of burning them plays into that story. Because, I mean, the, the game itself is talking about this loss of history that happened from the collapse of society, and you are taking the remaining records of that previous society, and you yourself burning those in order for yourself to survive. So there is this interplay, there's an interlocking between the actions you're taking and the story that's being told. And that is the kind of thing that I really try to push for, specifically by questioning everything until I'm sick of questioning it, basically. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that. I love, um, so the game, the video game that got me back into gaming was The Last of Us. Yes. And, um... There are a lot of collectibles throughout the game. And mm-hmm. It's not, you know, necessarily integral to the story, but, you know, you pick up notes from people and you can choose to read them and it kind of plays into your understanding of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the point that, you know, you incorporated in your game, but that was one of the things I loved most about it. Yeah. Was that you were getting kind of the side story or or a better understanding of the people in this time and i wished that there that that played a bigger role in the game itself yeah. because what i found as i was talking to people about the last of us and you know them knowing me they're like oh you like the last like you like the shooter and i'm like well but it's not about the shooting it's about the story and they're like what story i didn't get any story out of it (laughs) and and i was like wait but there's like all this character development and there there's this there are these subtle shifts in 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 the way people treat one another as they travel throughout the game Mm -hmm. and then you pick up all these things and you learn about what people are doing and you learn more about you know, the protagonist and how he feels about things. And, and they were just going through and they weren't collecting. And I was like, oh, you missed out on so much, like so much depth to the story. And I like that, you know, it sounds like your game has that. And it's something that like you need to acknowledge in order to play, right? Yeah. Yeah. Most, most AAA, most of the mainstream games, they try to have it so that story is a thing you can choose to ignore uh because their idea is that there is this thing called gameplay that is the that is the meat of the game and that's what you do and then there's this other thing called story and nah the people right. that like it can read it but who cares right it's all about right. shooting stuff and i really don't like that i really don't yeah. like that because i mean it does a disservice to both halves it does a disservice to the shooting cuz the shooting and all that kind of stuff it's just repetitive and banal And then it also does a disservice, in my opinion, to the story, because most of the time what you're finding are like these, you know, just lengthy blocks of text or things like that that are isolated from everything else in the game. Mm -hmm. So the the cool story bits aren't as good as they could be because they're so separated out like that in order to make sure that it's okay that they're meaningless to some people. Yeah, it's tragic. And I, I instead very much like the idea of kind of forcing those two pieces to interact with each other and to interact with each other in a very meaningful way as much as possible. Yeah, I imagine that that requires a lot, a lot, a lot of thought and trial and error to to get the to get it all working together the way you want to like like a 10,000 piece puzzle. You know, you kind of yeah. 
have all these pieces out in front of you and you're like, okay, well, where do I start? And some of these pieces don't even belong. So I've got to figure out which those are too. Yeah. And it also kind of like for me, because, because I know, like, I know methods of level design. I know method, I know methods of all this kind of old school thought about game development. And I'm trying to tack that onto something different. And so a lot of times it feels like I'm trying to make something beautiful out of two mismatched set of, of, of blocks. Like it's like you're trying to build something out of Duplo blocks and Lego blocks at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's really awkward because it doesn't always work. And you have to get very creative to think about how to make these th- these disparate pieces of knowledge actually fit together. Yeah, that's – and you did you did all of this in a month? Uh, a night in the woods, yeah. Oh, I was on fire then. That was just, <laughs> that was before I got sick. I've been sick for the past year now, so I've been very slow this year. But before that, I was kicking ass and taking names. Wow, I'm sorry to hear you haven't been well. Yeah, uh, well, it, thankfully, it, it's only slowed me down not, and not stopped me. So, like, I've I've been working on this game, Sunshine, which is another three three D first person game where I'm trying to do the same thing where. I, I'm taking a lot of known tropes and I'm questioning them and trying to get them to fit into the overall meaning of the story. It's like about the surveillance state and stuff like that. A lot of it inspired by Edward Snowden. And I feel like, God, it's, I've been working on this thing for way too long. And for a while, I was thinking maybe it was just because it's over, I'm in over my head. It's too complicated. But I think it's really just because I've been sick. Yeah. It. It weighs you down. It really does. I understand. I do. Um, So what's the other game you're working on currently? The other game I'm working on is called Trigger, which is a a, a visual novel, which is basically a digital choose-your-own-adventure story about a woman who is on the brink of figuring out that she is a survivor of some pretty horrific things. And you go through her journey of, of... recovering those initial memories and coming to to figure out that, oh my gosh, something terrible happened to me. And that's why I've been so messed up all these years. And I'm telling it in the medium of a of visual novels, which is a genre that is, it, it, visual novels are have mostly been in the form of this thing called dating sims, mm-hmm. which is where you play the game as, most of them you play as a guy and there's like several girls that you end up you know, being able to potentially date and most of them have pornographic content in them. And it's kind of just like, yeah, it's basically a lot of, a lot of the dating Sims are kind of just this, like, it's like a nice guy simulator thing where it's like you, if you put in the right kindness coins for each girl, you can get sex out of them, which is lovely. It's kind of problematic. Yeah. Some of them do tell legitimately engaging stories, but that nice guy aspect is written into the, the the way you interact because it yeah it's basically you know there's a bunch of story which has text to it and then there's character sprites to to, to kind of act out what's going on and then at certain key points you can make choices you know it's basically a uh, choose your own adventure style thing mm-hmm. and uh, so if you pick the right ones the girls the girl will like you more and then if you pick all the right ones they'll like you a lot and then you're getting better with them so every all of these games have they can be solved. Like you can have perfect information. If you do just the right thing, you'll get the girl for in all of these games. And with Trigger, I am trying to take that same, well, basically I'm taking the, like the game engine and a lot of other, and that is used for this type of game. And I'm saying, you know what? I want to do something very different with this. I want to tell a different kind of story. 
Um, so, so most dating sims are also, it's usually like anime styled and it has all those, you know, all, all the, all the trappings that come with anime, all the problematic trappings that come with anime, like right. all the fan service and panty shots and gross objectification and all that. And, uh, I'm saying, no, you know what? I'm going to do a story that's slice of life. It's very realistic, very down to earth. There are some parts of it that are kind of horror-like, but that's only because abuse can itself can genuinely feel like a horror movie. Uh, and it's basically a story about a woman and her husband and them dealing with how, you know, uh, her 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 growing awareness of what happened to her is affecting them. It doesn't sound like this is the type of of game where there's a right answer. Like you were talking about how like the dating the dating sims you can you can discern what the right right answer is to yeah you know get your objective. There's always yeah there's a clear cut there's usually a clear cut debug debug answer and then there's then there's like the you know whatever has been specially tailored to 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 get the right outcome. And there's definitely a win-loss. And in Trigger, I'm more like, the choices aren't about doing the right thing or the wrong thing. All of them have pros and cons. And the different combinations of these choices simply ends up in you seeing different aspects of Wendy's life. So you see, she, she'll end up remembering different things through the course of events based on what you do. Because they'll trigger different memories from the past. And so... Depending on the choices you make, you simply get different glimpses into her past and into her life. And so you can play through it multiple times to see, kind of get a fuller picture of her entire life. Does it have different endings based on um, your choices or is the ending, does it always converge at the end? Yeah, there are. Or do you want to say? <laughs> no, I can say. It's cool. It's, okay. it, yeah, there, there, there are multiple endings, although there is not, there's not the good ending the bad ending, right. that kind of thing. They're, they're different and they pretty much, some of them are like a little bit more positive than the other ones. Some of them are a little bit more negative, but I don't think that there's any clear cut. This is the correct ending. This is the bad ending where everything goes horribly wrong. It's, it's all left with a kind of like, you know, indie film ambiguity openness to it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it'll end on slightly different. Oh God, here we go again. Slightly different shades of gray. <laughs> <laughs> I hate, can I just say how much I hate that that book and now movie has a title for something that is so aptly, like... It's a useful phrase, damn it. so, yes, it's just, ah, <laughs> uh, and now it's, it's tainted making now. me sad. It's tainted. It's yes. just so tainted. Uh. So how do you go about writing a game like this? Just, just like the script, not necessarily even the actual like programming parts, but but the narrative and um, picking the branches and and what choice leads to where. Like I write, and yeah. I can't even imagine at this point in my life trying to 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 take that on. So how did you approach that? I took it. I, I did it very organically. Uh, there are there are a lot of writers that are like. This is how I want my story to end. I want X, Y, and Z to happen. And so I will just write the stuff that links all that together. Instead, I started off writing several different vignettes that helped me figure out the, the character of Wendy and her past and her personality. And then after writing those vignettes, which aren't in the actual story itself, I started with a basic like starting point. And then I had a vague idea where I wanted to end up, but who knows, you know, 
I, I left that open. I was like, maybe we'll get to this point, but if not, that's cool. And so I started at, you know, the game starts. This isn't, I'm about to release a demo soon and this isn't actually spoiling anything. You're, you start off and you're moving out of this house that Wendy has had since she was, you know, it's the house she grew up in and she's preparing to move out because she can't afford to keep it anymore. And so from that point, I just started organically writing out just what would she do? Um, and then it went into several, naturally went off into several different branching points. And I picked the ones I, I found the most interesting. And then I wrote from that point what would happen. And I kept doing that. And I don't know, kind of like growing a tree and then pruning it back and then growing it more and pruning it back until I had this branch of stories and this kind of interlocking set of events that felt very natural um, and felt like, you know, there was a understandable causal link between all the different scenes. And that, that uh, affected not just the, uh, not just the story writing, but also where the player ends up being able to make a choice in the story. Because I, I, I came upon a very specific philosophy for where the player should be able to make a decision, which is that, it is only in the moments when Wendy herself gen genuinely has no idea what the right thing to do is that the, that, uh, the choice is then opened up to the player. So you're, you're kind of like, you know, that deciding factor that gets somebody to say, I don't know what to do, but I'll do that one. Okay. That one. And let's go with it. I don't know if it's right, but let's go. And that's kind of your, your role in the story is to be the one that gives her that nudge in whichever direction you want to push her at those crucial tipping points. So how long did, has it taken you to, to write? So the story I wrote over the course of maybe a, a, a year, although it was kind of on and off because I had a lot of life circumstances getting in the way. I've had a lot of housing instability and, you know, I've been poor pretty much my whole adult life. So it's, it's, you know, I've been on shaky ground the whole time I was writing it. Mm -hmm. And actually a lot of the stuff that I wrote about Wendy were things that I personally was in the middle of processing myself with my own history. So it was kind of like at the same time Wendy was learning how to cope with this stuff, I was learning how to cope with it too. So it was pretty, pretty tumultuous. And um, so, it, I mean, the it's not an extremely long story. I wrote it, at least a single playthrough is not an mm -hmm. extremely long story. I, I, I wanted to make it so that you can finish it in a single sitting very comfortably in like an hour or so, depending on your reading speed. Because I like games that can be finished in a single setting. And so it's not it's not tremendously long. A lot of a lot of visual novels are actually like honest to God novel length and they just keep going and going and Forever. going. Yeah. yeah, and I, I didn't want that. I wanted it you could sit down one night, play it and be like, oh that was quite a story. And then sit down another night and be like, oh that was quite a different story. And so Despite how relatively short it is, I think the total word count is around 24,000 words total, including all branches. So it is in total kind of a novella, but it took me a while to get there because it was such a personal story. And I was like, there was some raw stuff in there that like, were like, I was, it wasn't necessarily that Wendy was an insert character for me, but it felt like we were going through the process together, you know? So it was kind of therapeutic in a way. It was. It really was. And that was part of my intent is I did want it to be a little bit therapeutic. And, you know, I just I simply wanted to write a story. 
And that stuff weighed on my mind so heavily. It was, it kind of like had to be that because I couldn't bring myself to really write about anything else. But I did pull myself back enough to be like, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to do an insert character. I want Wendy to be her own person. And she has mm-hmm. a different background than mine. She has her own story. She's, she's cisgender and straight for one. So <laughs> there's some difference in experience there. Right. And, uh, and, you know, her, the actual stuff she went through is different than what I went through, but just kind of just the raw emotional part, we definitely shared a lot in common. Well, that, I guess that human experiences, um, can be universal. Definitely. Um, whether, whether we want them to be or not. Yeah. Um, it's another <laughs> thing entirely, but. Yeah, there's actually, I, so I've had a couple people play through it, uh, play through the whole story, and I've had people that don't have histories. Of violence or anything say that it it really got them to to like they really got it after they after they played the game they really understood like whoa this is a really big deal for people that that go through this kind of thing and i had at least at least a couple people one or two people say that you know i've never had a flashback but i kind of felt like i had one after playing this game so i was like wow hopefully this game will get through to a lot of people something that they have no idea about which is more than I could ever hope for in writing a story, you know? Yeah, and I think that's that is the power of games. That um there are these experiences that we can that we can read about and we can, I guess, understand on some kind of passive intellectual level. Yeah. But when you're playing games and you're acting as that person, it's it's a completely different experience and brings a completely different level of understanding to things. Um, I know that Depression Quest is another game that's, um, you know, I, when it was written, the goal was to help people understand depression. But mm-hmm. um, I could see this based on what you're saying and what your playtesters have said being a very valuable tool for maybe family members or friends of people who have gone through, you know, crummy situations. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people kind of intellectually know about PTSD, and they know what a flashback is, but they don't know the visceral experience of it. And the visceral experience of a flashback is, a, I mean, no description of it in a book, no mere, no mere word description of it can really get it across. And so hopefully through combination of words, pictures, audio, and the player trying to kind of hopefully investing themselves because they're making choices for Wendy. Hopefully they'll get a bigger sense of what the, what that's like. Wow. I'm sorry. It's just, it's just such a profound, I don't profound thing for me, I guess. Hmm. Um, so you, you're going to be releasing a demo soon. Yep. It, yeah. Uh, cause I finally, the other reason it took me so long to get this thing finished is I had to hunt for an artist. Uh, but I found one and he's great. And we're going to be releasing a demo soon in order to gear up to get, uh, attention to do a crowdfunding campaign because I would like to pay my artist for his wonderful work. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. This really is a passion project. I mean, I'd had a different artist on earlier and she was doing it as volunteer work and all that. And, we were still going to do revenue sharing and all that kind of stuff, but it's basically a passion project, but I would like to be able to pay my artist. That would be wonderful. So that's what the crowd, that's what the crowdfunding campaign is going to be for is to throw some money his way for helping me out to get this finished. So when you're ready to announce that, where can people 
learn about it? Is Twitter the best place? Or are you going to post? I, I imagine you'll post it everywhere, but. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, because I'm on Tumblr, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, <laughs> I'm on G+, I'm everywhere. I'm on YouTube. Oh, God. Too many, too many social networks to track on. But yeah, I'm on all of them. Uh, but if you go to amydentata.com slash trigger, it will definitely be announced there. That's the game's main page. Right now it shows like development diary updates and a, and a teaser video and stuff. But when we got the crowdfunding campaign going, it will definitely be announced there. Okay. And do you have an ETA on when that'll be or just sometime soonish? Probably within the next month. I'm hoping okay. to get it going in the next month. Well, I hope it works really well because um, it sounds it sounds like a very profound game, <laughs> like something that a lot of people need to play. Yeah, and I would like to get a lot of people who don't consider themselves gamers interested in it. And instead of assuming, oh, it's a video game or it's a visual novel. I mean, visual novels are kind of a niche thing that only a small number of people are into. And I want it to just be a story in this kind of game format that a lot of people could play. I, I would really hope that I could reach out and get a lot of people that aren't gamers to, to, to try it out. Well, and I think what's appealing about it to me is, is the length. Like I love games. You know, I play, mm-hmm. I play World of Warcraft. I play games that literally will never end unless I make it end. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's so hard you know, to to sit down and play a 40, 50 hour game sometimes because it's like, well, you know, I'm, I know I'm going to be busy for the next three weeks. I'd really like to play a game, you know, but I can't invest the time and yeah. something that's an hour long that I could maybe play through two or three times, you know, in, in, um, like I have a dedicated game day or whatever. Um, I like, I like that a lot. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, it, it becomes too much of an investment to play those huge games. Like, like it'll take you a whole night just to get through the tutorial sometimes. And anybody that's an adult does not have time for that. Right. You know, it's just, it's just practical, it's just practical limitations. Yeah. And I, I struggle so much. Like I, I love Starcraft. I love World of Warcraft, you know, but oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's a huge time investment. And it's like, all right, well, I've got the podcast and I have, you know, a house and a job and, um, a husband and family and friends and all of these things need attention. And I, I can't, I would like to just sit and play games all day, but it's just not the reality of my life. Yeah. And I mean, like mainstream games, they're all their advertising has kind of just been like, you know, really glorifying the gamer that does nothing but plays games. That's kind of been the image that is supposed to be like, that's what a true gamer is. It's like, Mm. that's all you care about is games. That's it. And you sit in your couch and eat Doritos 24 (laughs) seven Mountain Dew. Yeah. Doritos, the the Mountain Dew flavored or or Doritos flavored Mountain Dew. My God. (laughs) Oh Uh, no. The ultimate parody of itself. Yes. That's, that's for one, that behavior is self-destructive for two, like, you could also just make games that are meant to be played in a shorter sitting and mm-hmm. then people could have lives as well outside of games. That'd be nice. I mean, it's, that'd be great. You shouldn't have to sacrifice your life to enjoy games. Yeah. And uh, me personally, I mean, like, you know, I've got, obviously I've been through some really messed up stuff in my life. I have lasting mental health issues. I've got, I'm really dissociative. I have memory issues, that kind of stuff. And it, I can space out a lot and it that makes it hard for me. That also makes it hard for me to dedicate mm-hmm. tons of time on a game. Um, and so like, it also makes it hard for me to try to make a game that's really long, which is why I really got 
sold on the idea of make a game that's designed to be played in just one sitting in the same way that like a movie is played in, in one sitting, right? I mean, with movies, you know, people can accept a two and a half hour movie sometimes. But if you push it past that, people start to get angry. Right. Unless you're a total nerd watching, you know, Lord of the Rings Extended Edition, which is a different story altogether. The, the film equivalent of World of Warcraft. Yes. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but for everybody else, you know, two and a half hours or less, you know, or else you 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 are an egotistical jerk. Right. And I think... Even, you know, even if you're making a game that has tons, like, there's a lot of games that basically have endless gameplay, right? Like Minecraft and stuff like that, because they randomize everything and you can just keep going. And mm-hmm. that's cool. But you could structure it to encourage people to take breaks or to stop every now and then. And uh, that that uh, problem in particular is why I think the game Nintendogs on the NDS is actually one of the most unsung heroes of gaming ever that nobody appreciates and that it's a lesson we haven't learned from because the game Nintendogs does a really good job of respecting your time. Even it just, it basically there's a, there's like three or four things you can do each real life day. Like you can go to these competitions, you take your dog on a walk and it's really cute and fun. And then after you do those activities, there's nothing else you can do that day. You have to wait till the next day to play it again. The game, it won't let you play more. It it will stop you. I mean, you can still sit there and like, I don't know, you can sit in your apartment and like pet your dog and feed them and stuff, but that's it. And there's not much to that. So you're like, okay, I'm done today. I'll play again tomorrow for a little bit for however long it takes to go through all the competitions and stuff. So, you know, not only is it a game that you can put down and just play a healthy amount, it's a game that forces you to play at a healthy amount. And I really like that. I like that idea of a game being designed so that you can't you can't do the marathon self-destructive runs you lose know? your life to it yeah. yeah but you know you can do that and still have it be a game that lasts for years you can do both at the same time and i just yeah games bottom line games need to respect people's time a lot more and that's why i try to make games that last like an hour tops yeah, I I, sh- I struggle. <laughs> you know, like last night I was like, I'm going to play one StarCraft campaign, you know, so I sit down with StarCraft 2 because, you know, four years later, I still haven't finished it. So I'm yeah. like, all right, I sit down with it. I play, I do my campaign, I'm good. And then I play the next one. And I'm like, you know what, Aline? Like, you had this breaking point where you could have stood up and you could have walked away. And instead, you stayed up till midnight playing StarCraft yeah. and you have to work tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, like, mean, that, I, I sometimes would like to be forced out of forced out of playing, too. Because and, and instead, those games, actually, they keep pulling you back in. You want to leave and they keep pulling you back in yeah. saying, no, there's just one more thing. There's just one more thing. And I really don't like that. I think that's really disrespectful. And it, it, it's manipulative. Like, on yeah. the one hand, you know, I want to keep my the player interested so they're not like, well, why the hell did I spend all this money on this game? Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, I, as the player, never want to get up. So Yeah. Know? But I mean, like, okay, so I'll bring up the game that I always bring up because it's my favorite mainstream game and everybody knows it, Skyrim, right? I have, I have played more, I've invested... Pro- at more than 300 hours into that game uh probably approaching 400 at this point mm-hmm. you can go to my steam profile and see verify it it's there 
I've played ridiculous amounts of hours on that game. And I love it. And I love that you can just keep going. But I also wish it was like, you tr- you know, you go through this quest. You do this thing. Your character's really tired now and is going to go to bed, whether you like it or not. See you again <laughs> and tomorrow. so should you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See you again tomorrow. We'll quest again tomorrow. That would be cool. And then that 300 hours would have been stretched out over a longer period of time instead of a couple weeks. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, and I feel like it's maybe something they could make optional for the people like us who are like, no, yeah. I really need help with this. At least it's an accessibility other, feature. Right, yeah, and then the people who don't care or have more self-control than I do can, <laughs> you know, just play as much as they want. Cause, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, though, and it's um, it's an interesting issue of uh, respect, I guess, that I hadn't considered in games. Yeah, and I think also, like, on a creative level, when you give a game that kind of structure. Uh, so, so one of the nice things that's nice about things like TV shows and episodic content that, that, you know, when you're not marathoning it on Netflix anyways, um, is that like you watch an episode and you're done. And that period in between episodes gives you time to think about things and to ruminate on them. It basically, you have to stop the media at some point so that it can sit with you and start to have meaning. But I think, you know, most games and like, you know, these, when people marathon shows on, on Netflix and stuff like that, we're not giving the media time to have meaning for us. We're not giving it that time. It needs to simmer for a while in the background. It needs to be off so that it sits in your brain and starts to make you think about stuff. Mm. And that is when it, you know, really has a lasting impact on you rather than just, oh, wow, I played this whole game, you know, for three days straight and it's all a blur now. You know, it's basically like, you know, if, if you're just having constant hangovers and you, that, and you don't remember the night before, you don't really get anything out of it. Mm-hmm. And we've, you know, most of gaming kind of has that, you know, hangover, you know, get totally shit faced and then you know, cry about a hangover the next day mentality, which I want to remember my fun night out. I don't want to forget it, you know? So. That's also, that's an interesting analogy too, because I, I, I'm very guilty of binge watching shows, you know, House of Cards comes out and I watch it. We had a bit, we had binge watching parties for that. Yeah. Orange, (laughs) Orange is the New Black. We Uh always watch it. Downton Abbey. um, If you buy it on iTunes, they released it all at once. I had my Downton Abbey day, you know, (laughs) and I needed it. Like I, I needed that downtime. But on the other hand, you know, like you're talking about, it's a blur. It's mm-hmm. just like it was one long episode and I don't remember the discrete pieces as much as yeah. um, as maybe would be helpful for next season when they're bringing these things up as plot points. Yeah. And just like as a writer, like giving those pauses means that the, the dramatic moments you write will have more resonance, which, I, you know, I, I consider myself a writer. I'm not prolific, but... When I write a scene that's really profound, I really want it to stick with people. I don't want it to get lost in a sea of other stuff, you know? And it, yeah. it, it just, it just seems like we've got the, you know, uh, what is it? The, what is that word that they use to describe, you know, Michael Bay style stuff? Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Bay mania or whatever it's called. It, <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's like we're doing that with like not just the content, but how we're delivering it to people. It's super bombastic mm-hmm. and overdone, how we're delivering it to people even. And ugh, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. I want to I step away from that. 
Yeah. It, it, so are you familiar with Peter Drucker at uh, all? I am not. He is a philosopher. Um, the only reason I know him, about him is because he, um, I, I studied him in college um, mm-hmm. because he was concerned or he he did a lot of writing, I guess, about um, the pace of society and um, information overload, mm-hmm. I think was the coin. It was a term he coined was information overload was his okay. kind of concept. Um, but I think about him a lot when I think about how society has changed so much versus, you know, a hundred years ago versus now. Mm-hmm. And everything's like that, right? Everything's faster and more intense and more in your face. And, um, well, maybe not literally everything, but, you know, day to day has changed so much. Um, and I wonder what the breaking or stopping point is for like, at what point are we like, okay, whoa, we need to, we need to slow this buggy down. Some people say that some people say that point will be the singularity. I think they're wrong. (laughs) I hope not. Like, you know, and I kind of feel like I'm there now. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to evaluate and like, okay, how can I simplify and, um, and, and make my life a little, a little slower and a little more, how can I live more deliberately, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. And a huge part of that is giving yourself time to think, time to stop. I mean, I've been giving myself social media vacations where I stay away from social media for a couple of days at a time. And it is glorious every time I do that. <laughs> It takes effort. Like sometimes I'm I'll be sure. like, sometimes I'll be like, yeah, I'm done with Twitter. So I wonder what's happening on Twitter and just pull yep. it back up. But, but when it happens, it's amazing and it's totally worth it. It feels like camping and it's fantastic. You know, I, I, I always think about doing that and then I never do, but I was forced. Um, I went on a cruise for, I went on a cruise for work because my life is so hard. Um, <laughs> And internet Wi-Fi, or the Wi-Fi on the boat is really, really bad. Yeah. And so, you know, I got back to shore after five nights on a cruise and I was like, there is no way I am catching up with like 50,000 tweets. Like, this is yeah. not going to happen. And it was, so I just, you know, put it out there like, okay, if I missed anything big, let me know. Otherwise, you know, hi, I'm back. And it was fascinating to me that very few people said anything in response to that. And I was like, all right, this is informative. Most of what happens is noise on social. Like most of it's noise and you don't realize it until you step away and then come back and are like, okay, what really mattered during the time that I was gone? Most of the time, the answer will be nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing actually mattered. It just felt like it did. And I contribute to that. And that's something I've got to evaluate, too, is because I'm on Twitter all the time and I post a lot. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's something we're all complicit in. I mean, it's it's that kind of thing where, you know, we're holding up a mirror to ourselves and saying, what the heck are we doing? You know? It, yeah. Hmm. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about public speaking, if you yeah. were up for it. How did you get started? Do you mean like talking at colleges and stuff? Yeah. Um, how did I get started? Uh, I think I think it started off the way, you know, that whole hidden job economy thing where I knew somebody who knew somebody that needed somebody mm. to talk. And they knew that I knew about trans stuff. So they're like, hey, this person could could come to your college and do stuff. And so I did. And then after that, I mean, it just kind of kept happening a bunch of times in a row. I actually did. I didn't plan for it. I didn't I didn't push for it. I didn't advertise myself as a speaker. It just happened and I'm happy with it because, you know, I'm, 
I have experience doing speaking. I do, I do like, uh, I do open mic performances and stuff like that. So I'm used to getting up in front of people and talking. Um, but it kind of just came to me as a result of me, I guess just as a result of me putting myself out there, uh, writing a lot of articles about trans stuff and just, you know, kind of, I guess, making a name for myself. It just, it, the word got out about me enough that, that the opportunity came to me. And I'm pretty grateful for that. I think that's great. I love it when, I don't know, things partially fall into place anyway. Yeah, I wish I wish more things happened that way instead of having to constantly, you know, advertise and shout at people until stuff happens. Yeah. Because I'm really bad at that. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> I am too. Yeah. I am too. Well, Amy, we're pretty close to an hour here. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, I was thinking about it. I think I wanted, I think I'd like to talk about how I started programming actually. Oh, that's, I was going to ask you when you started talking about that and yeah. then got talking about narrative instead. So yes. How did you get started? Uh, so I use, cause, cause it, it was one of those things that I didn't think I was capable of doing. And so I like telling this to let people know that if you don't think of yourself as a coder, it doesn't really matter. You can still, it's, it's not guaranteed, but you can probably do way more than you thought you could. Cause like, so, okay. When I was a kid, uh, my house, my, my home life was pretty terrible. And I was lucky enough when I was like, you know, 10, 11, 12 to have access to a computer. So back then my first experiences were teaching myself how to program in basic which is this really obviously very simple programming language. Mm -hmm. And I was self-taught. There was no action. There was no World Wide web. There was just pre-internet stuff. So it was just me, a little book, a little instruction manual and a computer, just hacking away at that thing for all the time, just to get away, to get away from the rest of my family. And then I stopped. I did it when I was like 12, 13, 14. Then I stopped for a very long time and did not touch it, uh, for quite a while. And then, a couple of years ago, after uh, I got unceremoniously booted out of college because of financial aid reasons, um, and I did not see myself going anywhere as an artist, just it just wasn't working out for me. Um, I decided I still like games. I still want to try this. And I was like, I remember when I used to try to program games when I was 12 or whatever. So I gave it a shot. And I just, you know, I played around with a bunch of different stuff. I played around with there's Game Maker there's uh there's unity there's a couple there's a there's uh renpy which is what i'm using to you to to make trigger and i tried a bunch of stuff and most of it didn't make sense to me and in fact Ren, uh renpy still confuses the hell out of me even though i'm making a game with it it still confuses me but i'm i'm i get it well enough to make a game with it and then i found unity and unity has this thing called unity script it's kind of like javascript and I basically, I just Googled stuff. I, I typed stuff in. And then if it didn't work, I typed a question into Google, found the answer, solved the problem. And I just kept going like that. And before I knew it, I was programming some pretty complicated stuff, just being self-taught this way, just, just hitting up Google for questions, thinking through my problem, thinking through the problems critically, analytically. And then I've gone from barely being able to code in that in Unity at all to now I'm working on a game that has like this pretty big world with all this stuff that's kind of procedurally generated in it and stuff. It's pretty complicated. And 
I didn't take any computer science classes. You know, I'm terrible at math. Absolutely terrible at math. <laughs> me too. Yeah. My only good class, my only good math class was geometry because it was visual. So I liked that. Oh, me too. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I think visual people, it's like geometry is the only math that makes sense. And even then, go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, but, but, but I found enough examples online. And I, I think for me, the moral of the story is uh, if you're trying to teach yourself how to code and you're struggling, it doesn't mean that you are bad at it or that you just aren't cut out for it. It mm. probably means that you haven't found the right tool that works for you. Because so when I, I, I tried things like Game Maker and I tried RenPy or RenPy, however you want to pronounce it. I think it's RenPy because it's based in Python. But I tried these other things. And it's not that they were hard. I mean, because for most people, I also tried Twine, which is a, a game for making, uh, uh, an engine for making like text-based games. And none of them, Twine included, makes sense to me. And most people talk about Twine as this really accessible alternative to things like Unity. And Unity is like ridiculously complicated. So use Twine instead because it's an easier thing. But Twine confuses me and Unity is easy for me. So it's completely backwards. So I think the moral of the story is keep trying different stuff until you find something that clicks that makes sense to you. And then run with that as far as you can. And you will be amazed at what you can do, even without like any computer science education. Mm -hmm. You you won't become, you know, some hotshot programmer that gets paid doctor money in Silicon Valley, but you can do amazing things way more than you thought you could. Yeah. Um, and I think another thing that people expect is that they'll just they'll just be able to do it. Like I'll learn it and I'll be able to do it. But the reality of program is, programming is you spend a lot of time searching for answers online. You're always a student, always yep. a student when you're programming. And that's a good thing. You're always learning new stuff. Yep. And yeah, basically, what it, the main thing it really takes, there, there's two things. One, uh, the ability to troubleshoot, to stop and look at some a problem one step at a time and troubleshoot it. And then two, the willingness to not know what you're doing for a long time. Yep. Uh, if, you, if you can manage those two things, you can figure it out. I think that's great. Yeah. So, Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people find you? I am on amydentata.com. And you can find links to all of my stuff via that website because I have like I have a YouTube channel and all that. But if you go to amydentata.com, you'll find links to everything. And you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. And if you have a few minutes, it would be wonderful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for less than or equal. <laughs>